Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand podcast. I'm Pastor Joe Faldet. Today's sermon is going to be looking at Judges 2, verses 11 through 15. We'll end at verse 16, I suppose, but I don't read that at the beginning. And we're going to be looking at God's anger towards the Israelites and what we can learn from that. Our sermon today is going to be a continuation on our discussion on Judges. So today we get to look at Judges 2, verses 11 through 15. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word. Judges 2, verses 11 through 15. Today we're going to be talking about the anger of God. Thankfully God doesn't stay in that anger throughout the book of Judges, but uh, here he kind of explains it. So that's the goal. Look at that. What does that mean? Read in Jesus' name. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Let us pray. Father, as we come to meditate on your anger as you express it through these passages. I ask that you would grant us wisdom and humility, Lord, that we might see what you have for us, Lord, and that we too might stand in fear. Lord, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Normally, we don't talk about the anger of God. You know, I... At least I don't normally, you know, because that's not really a fun topic. I'd rather talk about grace. I'd rather talk about the love of God. I'd rather talk about the wisdom of God and the provision of God. And, you know, and we can leave judgment for the end times. You know, that would be kind of nice to not have to worry about it until then. But the reality is that the anger and the wrath of God are part and parcel of God. You know, that God's not just simplistic, but he's, he's deep. God is, God is big. God understands and sees. And, you know, even within the complexity that is ourselves, God is more complex than we are. And so when we think about God, we can't think about him simply. Because when God interacts with us, he doesn't interact with us simply. He un- interacts with us through various means and in different ways and uses all of these emotions. Because the emotions that we have are simply a reflection of the emotions that he has. And so, with that, when we start out, we're going to talk about why is God angry with the people of Israel? You know, because that's a good place to start. It's because of their idolatry. And as, as the author of the book of Judges here describes idolatry, he actually uses three different words, um, phrases, descriptions, whatever. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so when we think about idolatry, you know, we think about, we'll start out thinking about righteousness. 
Righteousness means that I'm following God. That godliness, righteousness, you know, faithfulness, all of those words, you know, we think about those kind of in a singular sense. Like, we know what that is to some degree because I'm guessing that most of you have been going to church for a long time. We know what that is. So what happens when we deviate from that? Do we, what do we see? What do we call those deviations? You know, well, I, I kind of messed up there. Ah, that wasn't the best idea. You know, we downplay it. You know, that could have been done better. What does God call it? Evil. They did what was evil. Everything that deviates from righteousness, God says is evil. There's no other way to put it. Because God says, be holy as I am holy. And so, it's not just my decision. It's like, well, that's my way of doing things. No. God says that's evil. Sure, that could be your way of doing things. Like, that's the Joe fall that way. And that Joe fall that way then is evil. And so God doesn't mince words when he talks about that which doesn't line up with his word. When he talks about that which doesn't line up with his character, with his way of doing things. He says, there's my way and there's evil. And you know when we start to think about that? Life becomes a lot more stark. Because it's not just that, you know, they're not very good people. Like, no, actually God's saying that what they're doing is evil. What else is evil? You know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a very high opinion of someone who is evil. Because usually when we think of evil, we think about people like Stalin and Hitler. and Not just the common person on the street that doesn't walk with Jesus. God looks at the common person on the street that doesn't walk with Jesus and says, they're evil. Because that's all they know and that's all they commit. So this is how we should see the world in pity. Because when you're committing evil, what else are you doing? You're serving the Baals or the Ashtaroth or actually Satan. You know, because if you're not serving the Lord, you're serving someone. There's a great singer and theologian, um, Bob Dylan, who said, <laughs> you've got to serve someone. You're either going to serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord, but you're going to serve someone. You know, and that's the reality. If I'm not serving the Lord, I'm serving Satan. I'm doing his work. And, and it's been amazing to me. The, so I've been a pastor now for about ten and a half years. And as I've seen people give themselves over to sin, it never works out well, and it never works out for the glory of God. It'll work out for the glory of God if they repent. But if they're repenting, then they're no longer giving themselves over to sin. And it can start out small. And it usually does start out small. Because, you know, we don't dive right in. You know, nobody goes from drinking milk to drinking espresso. That's not the way you do it. You go from drinking milk to drinking, like, girl coffee. Um, <laughs> you know, to drinking real coffee, the black stuff. <laughs> And then when that's not quite strong enough, if you're in college and you're, you know, pulling those all-nighters, then you go for the hard stuff and you get espresso. Like, you always move up. You move 
deeper in strength. And so it is with sin. We don't just dive right into sin. We usually compromise a little bit here and compromise a little bit there. And then finally we give ourselves completely over to it. And that's why even those little sins, God calls those evil. Because those little sins are ultimately serving Satan's goal. And that's to get you away from God. And so if I'm committing evil, if I'm not serving the Lord, I am serving Satan. Period. That's the reality because that's the end. That's Satan's goal. He wants to bind you and he wants to bind me to be his slave. And so that's why we don't quibble about sin. But it's it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. It's evil. It's serving Satan. Do you want to serve Satan? No. So that's what God is saying here through the author of the book of Judges. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger, and they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers. So they abandoned the Lord, and they served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so you think about this. What's God saying? They served the the gods of other nations who had never done anything for them. Those gods had never done anything for the Israelites. Those gods were actually conquered by the Israelites. Because that was one of the reasons why God called the Israelites to go in there and to conquer Because the idea is, the stronger army had the stronger God. And so as the Israelites went in there in a military force and they conquered, they were declaring to all of the world, these gods are not as powerful as the Lord. These gods are not as consistent as the Lord. These gods are not as present as the Lord. And so they went in there and they conquered all these gods and then they went after them. You know, congratulations. It's like, well, in in some ways it almost feels like Being a Vikings fan, you know. How many years have we hoped, desired, and been disappointed? (laughs) You know? And we keep doing it. And that's almost, uh, yeah, there's actually a lot of parallels there. Why do we keep supporting those who keep failing? You know, and that's what the Israelites are doing. They are throwing their money in with the ones that failed. They abandoned the Lord who brought them out of Egypt, and they went after the other gods. They abandoned the Lord who had shown himself faithful, who had brought their fathers through the desert, fed them with manna from heaven for 40 years. You know, their shoes never wore out. Their... Think about what God provided them for. Gave them quail from heaven. You know, I don't know if you've ever had quail, but that's pretty good. It's better than the chicken that we get from Walmart, you know. But God provided, God fed, God brought water from the rock, God did all of these things. God led them out of Egypt, took them out of slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, fed them in the, you know, in the desert, conquered, blessed them as they went to war, as enemies went against them, and as they went into war, God blessed them, and the Israelites said, you know, we don't want you anymore. We'll find our own. And that's, that's the same way with us. Because really, has God ever failed any of you guys? 
Really? We had a brief, spontaneous testimony at this time from a parishioner, but our overhead mics weren't able to pick it up, so I had to cut it out. I apologize for that. If you guys want to hear interesting stories as to how God has worked, talk to Mina, (laughs) you know. Um, Mina has, we've spent many hours talking about the, the ways that God has worked. And so, thank you. That's the reality. When we seek God, when we do God's will, God works it out. You know, God empowers that. God, God brings good out of that. And even when we don't understand how he's going to bring good out of that, God does bring good out of that. And we see that, you know, even this lady getting sick and having the evil come out of her. That was God working through, through godly people. God doesn't fail us. And so when, when people leave God, God sees it as them just abandoning him. You know, that's how he perceives that. So he asks, well, why would God be angry? It's not that big of a deal. It's not hurting anyone. God says, actually, that's evil. That's you serving Satan, and that's you abandoning me. And so when we walk away from God, this is why God is angry. Well, what's the big deal? You know what? It is a big deal. It is a big deal. So God brings anger. And I want to I want to stop and think about this for a moment. What is anger? So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So what is what is anger? Well, in in verse 15, God says, um, and the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. So oftentimes when we talk about struggles and difficulties, we talk about them in terms of discipline. You know, that's oftentimes how I'll talk about that because, you know, as, as a dad, when I'm disciplining my children, I, I strive to not do that in anger, you know, but out of a desire to see them grow you know, and, and mature and, and stop doing the thing that irritates me. Um, <laughs> might as well be honest. But that's for that purpose, to see them grow, to ultimately be a benefit. Here God says that he's actually doing this to bring harm upon them. And so when God speaks about anger, he's not just speaking about discipline. When God brings trial and strife upon someone, He's not just discipline. Because if these people have abandoned the Lord, then what's the Lord, what's the Lord's attitude toward them? What is his goal in this hardship? It's actually to bring harm. You know, and and there's a part of me that rebels against that. It's like, no, that's not really the way that God works. It's like, well, that's what scripture says. So if I have abandoned the Lord. What's going on? God is bringing harm. God is willing to bring harm upon me. And that's a terrifying thing. Because which one of you thinks you're bigger than God? You know, if God wants to harm you, can God do that? Absolutely. This is why we don't play with sin. You know, because I don't want to be in that position where I'm no longer under the love of God, but now I'm under the wrath of God. I don't want to be there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to engage in that. I don't want anybody to be there. You know, but this is the reality. If I have abandoned God, I'm going to be under the the wrath of God, and God's going to seek to bring harm to me. Wow. 
This isn't just discipline. This is actually destruction. You know, and that's why I have the picture there. That's the Lot and his wife fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Lot and his two daughters, his wife's there. She's getting struck by lightning, as you can see. It's a very friendly picture, isn't it? Like, but that's sin. That's actually sin in a nutshell. Godly people will always flee from it. And it always brings destruction upon those who engage in it. Like, that's sin. And that should really cause us to fear God and to fear abandoning God and to fear abandoning God's ways because God says, I will bring destruction on the people who don't walk with me. You know, that's, that's a picture of hell as well. That's the fall writ large. You know, that's our sin in visible form. That's what it is. If I give myself over to sin, then I'm in that destruction. And that destruction is going to come upon me. But the godly person flees from that. And they're not just fleeing from the destruction, they're fleeing from the sin that brings it. And that's why we need to fear sin and fear the Lord, because those things go hand in hand. We fear sin because we fear the Lord. We know the destruction that He can bring. He is God. God Jesus says, you know, you don't have to fear the person that can kill your body. Fear the one that can throw you both body and soul into hell. You know, fear that place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. No matter how bad things are in this world, we will have a relief from that if we walk with the Lord. You know, no matter how much we're suffering in this world, we've got the promise of heaven. But the person who's not walking with God, they don't have the promise of heaven. They have the promise of destruction. They have the promise of condemnation. And so this is the best that they get. That's a terrifying thing. And that's something that we should stand in fear of. You know, we don't play with sin. Why? Because God is terrifying. Well, but God's a God of love, right? You know? I don't have to fear God. Because God's a God of love. What does that mean? James says, God is love. Well, that means that whatever I define as love, I can define God in that way, right? No. That means that God is the one that defines what love is, not me. No, God is love means that love is bigger than me, and it's beyond my ability to control. And so if I say that God, if I say, okay, James is right, God is love, within that love, God is the one that defines that. So he's also the one that puts parameters around that. And so we know then that God's love is for those who seek him. But God does not listen to sinners. We're told that, well actually that's not Christ who, quote, who says that, but it's the man who was born blind who was healed. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. It's true. So if God is love, he puts boundaries on that. He says, hey, you want to experience my love, you come in Christ. Well, perfect love casts out all sin. Or cast out all fear, right? So I don't have to fear God because perfect love casts out all fear. We've told that in First John. Well, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of it. It's the beginning of it. And so as we enter into the kingdom of God, first by fearing God, knowing that we need to be saved. I was listening to a guy online. He was talking about uh, his faith walk. And faith walk. 
he was an atheist, became an agnostic, and he, now he said he's apatheistic. I was like, well, I'd never heard that one before. Just doesn't care. He doesn't think that God matters. He's apatheistic. Whatever. And you know, I was listening to that, and I was like, that's what happens when nobody fears God. Because apatheistic says, nothing matters. But you know what? If God can send you to hell, it matters. So he needs the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the thing that drives us to seek God because every other option is going to lead us to Sodom and Gomorrah. Every other path is going to lead us into hell. There's many ways to heaven. Nope. Jesus is the way. Many ways to hell. That's terrifying. We don't play with sin. We don't let it into our lives. When God convicts us of it, we repent of it now. Because the Israelites at this point, this isn't the, you know, they're not just walking into this and like, oh, whoops. God has spoken to them. He has told them. He has given them his command. He has sent his angel there. That was the whole story of Bochim. They're saying, hey, this is what you guys are doing. This is going to be the fruit of it. And what do they do? They weep, they mourn, and then they get back into their sin. They don't repent. That's the problem. And so why is God at the point of harming them? Because he has warned them and warned them and warned them. And they say, I want my way. I'm sorry, God, but I know better. So God says, okay, let's try this on for size. What happens? God brings punishment. This picture is the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, you look closely, those are Roman soldiers. But this is what's happening. What does God do? God breaks down their stuff. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. So remember we talked about them, the Israelites bringing the people of Canaan into forced labor? Why do they bring someone into forced labor? Well, so they can get their stuff. So they can get their work for free. You know, any employer knows that the greatest expense is, the greatest cost of um, business is labor. Like, it's people. People are expensive. What if you can get that for free? Hey, that's a great idea. Now we can get more stuff for less cost. So what does God start by doing? I'm going to come and I'm going to take all your stuff. I'm going to send plunderers into your lives. And that's what God did to the Israelites. That was one layer that God showed the Israelites that if you go outside of my will, it doesn't work. You're going outside of my will so you can get more stuff. Well, I can take your stuff away. You know, I'm going to lie to the IRS so that I don't have to pay as much for taxes. Well, then what happens when God reveals to the IRS that I've been lying to them? I'm probably going to pay a little bit more. You know, that's the way that works. Because God makes sure that these things come about. And so if I am cheating or if I am stealing in order to get more, God says, they're going to find you. And I'm going to make sure of it. God's going to send plunders, and they're going to take all of that. And that's what happens. Because God will attack. If I'm worshiping stuff, God will attack me on the level of stuff. Because really, God would rather have your soul than you have your stuff. Because your stuff isn't eternal. Your soul is. So God will hit you there. Secondly, hits him on self-rule. Whenever they... Uh, nope, that's the wrong one. And he sold them into the hands of the surrounding enemies. 
so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. So what did their enemies do? Enemies came to march against them, to conquer them, and what happened? They were conquered. And you see this. You see this in the lives of people who give themselves over to sin. They no longer have self-rule. They become ruled by their sin. And so if my goal is my reputation, what's going to be the deciding factor on all of my actions? My reputation. And so I can't confess my sins to you guys anymore because I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my reputation. I can't come and seek forgiveness because if I acknowledge my sin, then I'm going to lose my reputation. You see this in politics all the time because really politics is about reputation. And so when do politicians confess their sin? When they get caught. Why? Because they're trying to salvage whatever their reputation they can. And so they'll walk in sin for years. Never tell anyone. Be a detriment to themselves and their families. Everyone around them hurts from it. But they won't tell anyone and they won't leave it. Why? Because they're afraid for their reputation. And that's not just politicians. I've seen this here in St. James. That people will hold up and not reveal the struggles that they're having because they're afraid of what other people are going to think about them. I grew up in a small town. I've seen that. I live in a small town. I see that. It happens. I can't share with Bruce what I'm struggling with because he might not think as highly of me. You know what? That's what people are living for their reputation. No longer self-rule. Reputation rule. What happens when people are seeking money? This happens in people's emotions too. The people who can't control their emotions, who do just whatever their impulse is telling them to do. They've lost that control. And that is a way by which God attacks. God brings harm by, bring, by taking away that self-control, that self-rule. Their enemies will overtake them. And that's terrifying. You know, because how many of you want to be ruled by your desire for reputation? God says, you put me at the head, it'll work out. You do everything according to me. If you do it according to your reputation or your security, your money, your stuff, you name it, any of these other gods that people worship, God will attack you on those places to show you that those gods really aren't gods. They're really not powerful. And so God brought plunderers. God brought the enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned. So what they tried didn't work. They kept Failing and failing and failing and failing. Why? Because they weren't seeking God. They weren't seeking God. And so their actions weren't empowered for God. And so God gave them over and yeah, they were done. Thankfully, this isn't the end of the story. But to this point, God drives them into deep distress. You know, and that's not a place where anybody wants to be. Where the darkness overcomes and surrounds you. But this is why we don't walk in sin. This is the reality of God. We don't want to be under the anger of God. And again, this isn't the end of the story because that destruction isn't God's final end for them. But that's the way that God works in them. So if you want to avoid all of that, walk with God. Seek the Lord. Make Him your goal. Make Him your end. Make Him your trajectory. 
Does that mean that everything's going to work out in your life? No. But that means that all of those things now will serve you to bring you to the Lord. But if I'm serving stuff, if I'm serving the bales, whatever that bale would be, God's going to bring hardship into my life in order to show me that that's not a legitimate God. They won't win for you. They were in terrible distress. But since I can't leave you there in good conscience, we have to read verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And that's the gospel. Because what's God's desire? To just crush his people. No. It's that he might save them. But until people repent, there is no hope. So what does God do? God brings more and more enemies until finally people repent or are destroyed. Those are the two options, finally and ultimately. And so today, if there's sin in your life that you haven't repented of, that God is convicting you of, and you haven't dealt with it, deal with it. Because you don't want that. There is sin in your life that you haven't dealt with. You haven't brought to God in repentance and confession. Deal with it. Because you don't want Sodom and Gomorrah in your life. You don't want deep distress. If you have, praise God. If you have dealt with it, accept his forgiveness and walk in the salvation that he has brought for you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fear of you. And I pray that you would work that in us. Lord, that we might ultimately love you perfectly. And seek you rightly. Lord, out of love for you. And out of delight in you. And not just out of fear in you. Lord, but that we would fear you. Lest we walk away from you. Lord, when there's sin in our life, convict us. That we might repent and be cleansed. Lord, we thank you for the promise of forgiveness. Lord, that we might worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you want to watch this sermon, you can always check out our YouTube page. Or if you want to hear any of our back-issued sermons, you can check out our website, www.hosannafreelutheran.com. That's also in the notes underneath. And there you can get all of our sermons from 2013 and on.